0: Okay, we're going to get started here. I'm Steve Bure. I'm the president of Discovery Institute in Seattle, uh, co-founded by by our guest today, George Gilder, and Bruce Chapman. And uh, George probably doesn't need an introduction to this crowd, but I'll take the liberty of introducing him briefly here. George is an iconic thinker in economics and technology policies, one of the country's, I think, most thoughtful futurists about where technology is taking us. Uh, George looks at the world and sees things a little differently. Uh, he, has, he gains insights uh, that, and looks at the world and sees things that other people don't see or haven't thought about. Uh, he's an accomplished author, as most of you probably know. Best known for his 1981 book, Wealth and Poverty. Wealth and Poverty was required reading by uh, President Reagan's cabinet. In fact, uh, this, as the story goes, a copy of Wealth and Poverty was given to Ronald Reagan uh, after, he wa- after the assassination attempt, and he read it in the hospital, and he was so captured by it that uh, he required his cabinet to read it. Many members of Congress in the early 80s read it, and it was the guide for the supply-side revolution. Uh, George spent the 80s and 90s studying technology, wrote several other books, uh, uh, Spirit of Enterprise, uh, Microcosm, uh, telecosm in the early 2000s. Uh, but he's here today, uh, okay, and I'm gonna tell you another story that you wouldn't know about otherwise. In 2012, we we uh, had gotten a request for uh, copies of Wealth and Poverty. Miraculously, copy, the, the book had fallen out of print, which was good if you had a copy on your shelf because it was worth about $100 on eBay because you couldn't get them. And so we told George, you need to re-release Wealth and Poverty. And, uh, and so uh, he, he started working on it. We were said, we're just re-releasing this. We're, d- don't, you know, we're not rewriting it, we're re-releasing it, right? He said, no, I, ha- I have to update it. I have to address some things I feel like I got wrong. So out of that book came a book called Knowledge and Power, which won the, uh, an award here at Freedom Fest a couple of years ago, and a subsequent book. The book he's uh, here to talk about today is The Scandal of Money. Uh, And and I know uh, you're gonna uh, hear from him some insights and things that you haven't heard about before. So without further ado, uh, I'll turn it over to my friend and colleague, George Gilder. Thank you,
1: Steve. Knowledge and power is really based as and presents a new paradigm, a new economic paradigm for a new historic moment in the world economy. How do you know when a paradigm dies? Well, one way is uh, a lot of major establishment uh, institutions begin saying, oops. Uh, The uh, uh, basic paradigm that has ruled economics for uh, recent decades is that the production of money by the Federal Reserve can somehow both foster prosperity and economic growth and that it can somehow uh, by lowering interest rates spur economic activity or retard it. There are a couple seats down here and a couple seats over there, if, uh, one down here. Um, and uh, how's it been going? The, <laughs> the uh, CBO and the IMF both make projections of gdp the cbo projects for uh, the us economy the imf projects for the world economy and earlier this year they had to project uh, re- correct their projections adjust them made uh, just 2 years ago and the uh, cbo's projection for the us economy was corrected by $1.6 trillion. They reduced uh, America estimates for the US economy by $1.6 trillion earlier this year. And the IMF changed projections for the world economy by $18 trillion. Now, all these previous projections were based on the efficacy of a general central bank uh, effort around the world to expand money supplies and and thus increase economic growth, lower interest rates and increase economic growth. And indeed, uh, reductions in interest rates, uh, the Bank of America counted 619 around the world, reductions in interest rates, to the point that uh, much government debt, more than half government debt around the world is now issued at below zero interest rates. Uh, uh, There's $13 trillion of government debt uh, at below negative interest rates, below zero interest rates. And uh, there have been more than 10 or 11 trillion dollars of quantitative easing where the Fed controls both long and short-term interest rates by uh, uh, buying assets, or selling assets. So uh, this has been massively tested this paradigm, and, uh, Yet it has somehow failed. So we need a new paradigm, and I think the key problem with the existing um, measures is that they don't know what wealth is. And uh, and uh, at uh, the Discovery Institute for the last 20 years, I've been studying information theory. Information theory is the theory that's the foundation of uh, uh, Silicon Valley, all the information technologies that really are the driving force of economic growth. And uh, studying information theory has led me to the belief that wealth is chiefly knowledge. uh, this may seem to be counterintuitive, but this Neanderthal in his cave had all the natural resources that we have today. The difference between our age and the Stone Age, as Thomas Sowell pointed out decades ago, is entirely the growth of knowledge. A professor at MIT named Cesar Hidalgo recently uh, gave a good example to help you understand this concept. When an expensive car crashes into a wall, all its value disappears, although every molecule and atom remains. Value is information. The car is knowledge, and uh, I conclude that all wealth is essentially knowledge. And if uh, wealth is knowledge, what is economic growth? Well, for years and years, I've been studying uh, a phenomenon in business strategy called the learning curve. Sometimes Bain and Company renamed it the experience curve, and it essentially ordains that with every doubling of units, there are a couple seats in the second row, the third row, there are a couple seats, a lot of room in here and up front, but uh, the learning curve, as learning curves have been calculated by the Boston Consulting Group and by Bain & Company, uh, as uh, essentially with every doubling of unit sales, cost unit costs drop between 20 and 30 percent. This is the learning curve. And they've been shown to apply to everything from poultry to insurance policies to transistors on chips to codes of software to uh, you name it, uh, a learning curve applies. And I believe that if growth is knowledge, I mean, if uh, wealth is knowledge, growth is learning. Now, in order to have learning, There are certain rules apply. Uh, Learning is most essentially experimental. If uh, outcomes are guaranteed, uh, learning is essentially prohibited. As Karl Popper explained it, any scientific proposition has to be falsifiable to be meaningful. And the reason capitalism is such an engine of learning, and thus an engine of economic growth, is because uh, every business plan can fail. Bankruptcy is possible. But if you have government guaranteeing everything uh, by uh, printing money whenever, any enterprise is in jeopardy of falsification or bankruptcy, uh, then uh, learning is prohibited. So the very policies that uh, government follows in order to guarantee growth intrinsically thwarts growth by arresting the learning process, by falsifying the learning process. And you get a company like like Tesla, which uh, you know, is uh, all kinds of brilliant technologists, all sorts of visionary ideas, but it can't really be tested. It's uh, everywhere, all across the country, Tesla is really uh, an arm of, of US uh, government control and subsidy, and so it really can't fail unless t- policy changes when when you invest in a company like Tesla you're really investing in a belief about American politics rather than uh, a belief in the possibility of of truly uh, profitable and activities based on a real expansion of knowledge so uh, so if uh, Wealth is knowledge and growth is learning. What is money? Well, uh, you know, though all uh, the theories about increases in money and lowering interest rates and all uh, are all based on the idea that money can somehow be an instrument of government power Uh, and uh, and if money is an instrument of government power, then uh, how, can it, uh, how can it really expand knowledge? And uh, so the, whole, the fundamental assumption that money can be used to foster economic growth implies that economic growth is uh, somehow a figment of policy Uh, an expression of power, rather than uh, uh, development of learning and new knowledge. And I think that in the deepest sense is the most fundamental uh, mistake. So if if money uh, is not an instrument of power, if it's not a magic wand, that uh, governments can waive in order to summon economic growth. Of uh, What is it? Uh, I've been uh, uh, pondering this issue for many years and I didn't really quite get it right in wealth and poverty. Uh, Steve Forbes really gave me the key insight when he began focusing on money as a clock or as a measuring stick. And he used the analogy of a clock If the measuring stick is changing constantly, how can enterprises use money as a guide to their learning processes? If 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 the clock was changing uh, day by day, uh, the hour changed, the minute changed. Uh, (laughs) As uh, Steve pointed out, we'd soon have uh, time time defaults uh, uh, obligations, or what swaps, or whatever, you'd have to constantly be hedging the clock. And that's really what's happening, because I believe that most fundamentally, money is time. And this really can be uh, understood pretty well if you contemplate a barter economy. In a barter economy with... uh, no storage or money, uh, what would determine the exchange values of products is the time it took to produce them. You know, if, you, if it took a long time to produce a product, that would uh, entail a lot of savings and, uh, and uh, the value would be translated into time. And, uh, and uh, the scarcity of money is based on the scarcity of time, and money as a measuring stick. Ultimately, has to be based on time, and you can understand this when you think of those learning curves all across the economy. If you have uh, a capitalist country with uh, generating learning all over the, all across the land. What remains scarce when everything else grows more abundant? What remains scarce is time. Uh, the residual scarcity when everything else is growing more abundant is time. And uh, that is really the root of the, of the value of the measuring stick of, of money. It's uh, the passage of time. Time is what forces you to allocate. Time is what forces you to make trade-offs. Time is how you prioritize. Without the pressure of time, everything slows down. Uh, So this is why, uh, as Jim Grant has has pointed out, Low interest rates or zero interest rates or whatever do not spur entrepreneurs to new fits of creativity and, and uh, investment. Low interest rates actually slow down the economy. It's like throwing away the clock in a basketball game. That was Jim Grant's analogy. Uh, You you don't have to score, you don't have to make decisions. You can just keep passing the ball around and keep it away from LeBron for the whole 42 minutes. Uh, You don't have to, and uh, zero interest rates, essentially zero out time. And when you zero out time, uh, everything just proceeds and drifts along in the way we've seen uh, them uh, the economy drift in Japan, and uh, now in the United States as a result of this zeroing out time. So, uh, But not only do you use zero, uh, zero out time of through the government monopoly of money and the imposition of zero interest rates, it slows growth rather than spurs it, not only does it do that; it also uh, suppresses innovation. Uh, as uh, Hayek put it, "the root and source of all monetary evil is the government monopoly of money." And uh, and uh, as and, uh, Matt Ridley said, that the government monopoly of money not only suppresses innovation and creativity, it not only retards growth, it also fosters inequality. Because what we have today is a kind of bifurcated economy uh, produced by the government monopoly of money that actually fosters inequality. Because think of most of us. Most of us are paid by the hour or by the day, or you know, we are inexorably caught in the economy of time. That's how we get compensated. Uh, but uh, what's happened in the world economy in recent decades is a result of the government monopoly of money and the exploitation of that government <coughs> monopoly to allow almost unlimited expansion of government power through uh, the creation of, uh, of money is, uh, is what's, hap- what's happened is a financialization, a kind of uh, hypertrophy of finance in the world economy. And the hypertrophy of finance escapes time It's at zero interest rates after all. And so, it results in a lot of bidding up of existing assets because the opportunity cost is uh, registered to be zero for spending or uh, today. So uh, essentially, uh, the result of, is a bifurcation of the economy where of uh, the flash boys in, engage in millions of trades uh, an hour or uh, increasingly a minute, and uh, the rest of us are caught in the economy of time. And uh, a real, the epitome of this uh, uh, hypertrophy of finance is the alternative to money as a measuring stick which is floating currencies. Now, f- f- cur- floating currencies, uh, uh, international currency trading now proceeds at a rate of around $5.3 trillion a day. Now, this, these are the numbers three years ago from the bank for international settlements. They're gonna issue new numbers shortly and there are estimates that uh, this has drifted down during the course of the recession. But it's somewhere around $5 trillion a day, which is about 24 or five times global GDP. It's 73 times global trade in goods and services. It's, it's, uh, it's, by far the biggest activity in the global economy. About 97, 98% of it is speculative. In other words, it's not involved directly in trades of goods and services. Uh, 77% of it is conducted by 10 big banks. And uh, it's, Almost all divided between London and New York, and it's uh, it's a scandal because it doesn't even deliver a measure of economic activity, a measuring stick that's less volatile, more stable than the economic activity it's supposed to measure. So it's it's. Uh, it's a scandal of money—a 5.3 trillion dollar a day scandal of money—and uh, that is, and uh, and the result has been across the capitalist world a big expansion of finance uh, compared to the time-based economic activities, which uh, represent the reality of uh, our economy and but this is a great moment of opportunity as well as scandal and the opportunity is created again another uh efflorescence of the information theory that began with kurt godel in 1931 when he showed that any logical system is necessarily dependent on propositions that can't be approved within the system itself i think money is a logical system like that it has to have roots of value outside the system itself money cannot be part of what it measures money is not a commodity uh, this is the the Almost the only real error I see in Austrian economics is the idea that money is somehow a commodity. It's—I uh, uh, was uh, debating uh, and discussing this with Peter Schiff last night, and uh, and he was really saying that the reason gold is gold is money, and money is valuable is that gold is ultimately jewelry. And, uh, you know, ultimately gold is valuable because people value it as jewelry. And my friend Richard Vigilanti, a white box (coughs) advisor says says that no, uh, money is not valuable because it's really jewelry. Jewelry is valuable because it's really money. (laughs) And that's, uh, and, uh, and the reason money is valuable is because it transmits into the economy the fundamental scarcities that all of us experience. The speed of light and the span of life are the fundamental scarcities in the world economy that are manifested in economics through the actions of money. And uh, this, is, uh, this is the, and, and all measuring sticks are this way. Uh, you know, the uh, system international in Paris uh, calculates all the measuring sticks that are used in international trade across the world economy. You couldn't have a microchip in Israel work on a fab in Taiwan and, and on a circuit board in Silicon Valley if, if it wasn't based on absolutely rigorous measurements of the second, the meter, the kilogram, the mole, the lumen, the, all the ampere, all the fundamental measuring sticks are all based on physical constants that don't change. And I went through, I scrutinized all these measuring sticks and every one of them is finally focused on time. Time, the speed of light is really the ultimate foundation for all the measuring sticks of uh, physical constants. And money is also a measuring stick and it's uh, necessary to a flourishing economy and it too has to be, finally, based on time. And, uh, and when uh, people try to escape time, uh, you uh, think of, you can't escape time. I can't remember what Cher, Cher's song was, but uh, you can't get away from time. And uh, when you try to do it, you just f- confuse everything. And uh, the horizons of the world economy shrink and uh, you have flash boys conducting meaningless trades in nanoseconds and uh, the middle class foundering and uh, uh, generally of the kind of world stagnation that we currently see. Thank you very much, I'd be delighted to answer (laughs) questions.
0: a microphone in the center of the room if you have questions Uh, while someone's making their way to the microphone I'll make an observation of my own from up here and that is when every seat is filled in a room and there's standing room only and men and women grown men and women are sitting on the floor you've just heard some from someone very special no um, so so we have about 20 minutes for a back-and-forth here I'd encourage your questions and, and answers all right
2: yeah, George. Um, could you elaborate a little bit about Tesla as an example? Um, I understand what you're saying about its reliance on subsidies and so yeah. forth, but it also does, you know, they are sort of developing real automobiles that really yeah, do yeah. run and everything. Yeah. And so there's technology there, and there's there is a stock price that goes up and down.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: And how do you deal with that? You know, like. How do you make decisions about that in the presence of the policies that distort things? It's not like there's nothing there, right? Could you all all hear
0: that question? I I think that microphone's not working. Could you repeat it?
1: Okay, so The question is, uh, Tesla is a wonderful company full of amazing technologies, led by a visionary entrepreneur and uh, profit of colonization of space and, and supercomputers that are certainly going to become minds and usurp all of us in our lives. Uh, I mean, uh, Elon Musk is uh, an amazing sort of Elmer Gantry of technology. And, uh, and he... Oh, that's hard. Well, well the, guy, the guy believes in global warming I mean, this, if, if somebody believes in climate change as a catastrophe, I don't think he does, actually. I don't think anybody does, but, uh, <laughs> but he, fervently knows, he fervently knows that he has to lie about this in order to retain the favor of his political overlords who deter- determine the success or failure of his company. And, And it's not that uh, Tesla is a great company. Uh, It's just that it's an imponderable company. It represents the corruption of uh, the learning process in the US economy that affects all of Silicon Valley. I mean, almost every company you contemplate uh, has some all sickly, dour, in some respect, by a pale cast of green goo, and uh, it's it's just and uh, the lack of uh, sound money is uh, echoed by a lack of of sound science, and uh, the U.S. science uh, the chief t- chief scientist in the United States is a man named John Holdren, and uh, John Holdren. Uh, believes that world population has to be about half what it is today in order for the planet to be sustainable. He's, he's, uh, he, you know, he was close to the Ehrlichs, and he's, he does, he's, he's a Luddite politician. He has no real scientific credibility. He hasn't done any science in decades. He's, but, but the government chose him as our chief scientist. In other words, a a guy who really wants to dial back the world population a hundred years or so in order to create a sustainable planet. And this is the chief scientist. And whenever you hear uh, Michael Shermer or somebody tell you we gotta respect the science, he's talking about people like John Holdren, who is frankly a quack.
0: i, I, mean, I, 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 I think know. we need we need to get on to the next question i think we should retitle this though george gilder unplugged <laughs> will, you, will you make sure that you speak make yeah. sure you speak directly into the microphone
1: yeah, sure thank you i um, i better that stop ranting so so, <laughs> so don't ask me about the weather i get very excited <laughs> about the weather You said you
2: disagree with the Austrians with regards to money as far as gold uh, money, and then also uh, that looking at value, that you're not able to see it within the system. You have to be outside the system. Uh -uh. So given that, what would you say to those who are trying to develop alternative
1: currencies? What are the mistakes that you see or strategies they they should use? Well, I've got two sessions on Bitcoin and coming up uh, on Saturday, I think, but uh, I certainly, believe, Uh, but my essential point is that this is a great opportunity for uh, innovation in currencies. Uh, Digital currencies are now feasible, and uh, they are uh, increasingly and explicitly rooted in time. Bitcoin is uh, specifically governed by the 10-minute limit for the creation of a new block. It's uh, uh, when Satoshi Nakamoto, I've, I uh, spent uh, two weeks in John Walden's uh, uh, Tuscany, beautiful place, writing about, uh, researching Satoshi Nakamoto and his beliefs in founding Bitcoin. And he was t- deliberately attempting to mimic, money, mimic gold. In uh, a digital currency, and he identified the source of the value of gold is essentially time, and uh, tried to reproduce that uh, scarcity in uh, Bitcoin. And so I believe that Bitcoin and gold are parallel uh, uh, experiments or not ex- gold isn't an experiment. gold is an absolutely demonstrated source of Value and it's uh, a massive presence all across the world economy and is regaining importance and As a reserve currency and as money uh, Led perhaps by the Chinese who uh, some people believe have been manipulating their currency, but in fact uh, the Chinese essentially refused to manipulate their currency copying uh, Hong Kong and uh, and uh, basing their currency on the dollar. And it's really worth understanding that all across the world economy in recent decades, the countries that have fixed currencies, that is, have to the extent that the dollar has been fixed, which is not a stable anchor, but better than nothing, the countries that have fixed their currencies have uh, vastly outperformed the countries that have floated their currencies. And the the great growth in the US economy even has come between uh, 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 the US and Asia, and uh, countries that have not floated their currencies. Uh, all the countries in the world that have been floating their currencies have been mostly stagnating. And that's, that's uh, a lesson, I think, uh, that uh, has deeper significance than merely accidents of uh, history. Uh, China is not obtuse about money. China, the Chinese uh, central banker is one of the most sophisticated Uh, monetary economists in the world. His guide is Robert Mundell, who has uh, long been an enthusiast of the gold standard. And the key finance institution in Beijing is called the Robert Mundell School of Finance and Entrepreneurship. Uh, 30 other major universities in China have named uh, Mundell as an honorary uh, uh, f- a, a, a professor. And uh, it's, China really does compete with the US on monetary policy, and, uh, and I think China has been right in choosing Mundell, and the US was wrong in choosing Milton Friedman, a great figure but uh, he was wrong in his belief in floating currencies, which have, which have now manifest themselves in this scandal of $5.3 trillion a day of, of meaningless speculative trading. Uh,
2: yes. Speaking of uh, time-based money, um, are, are you familiar with uh, Charles Hugh Smith's work in The, in the Climb? model, uh, he, Whose book, work? Uh, Charles Hugh Smith.
1: Yeah, I've, I've read some. I've, I've been impressed by some of his essays. I can Well, He's th- a I'm blogger, sp- right? Well, yes,
2: but he wrote a book called uh, Radically Beneficial World and basically came out with this this concept for a labor based currency, yeah. really um, oriented more for local communities and As we have a greater and greater abundance of people that want to work but don't have capital, can't start a business, but they could actually do some work and they want to trade with one another, we need a currency, an ability to trade. And so his model is a currency based on labor. So gold is kind of indirectly based on labor. This one is based directly on labor. Yeah,
1: well, the so problem is that labor is part of the economy. So if it's based on me- labor, it really isn't a measuring stick. It, it depends on the evaluation of labor, which in turn will be measured by money. So you have a, a self-referential loop there. And uh, historically, self-referential loops cannot yield a, a stable source of monetary value. So what happens with this would be probably, most of these projects have a real political edge to them. They're, you know, glocalization or localization or whatever. And uh, I th- but I think the fundamental idea that, that uh, it's uh, going to be based on labor is the problem of commodity monies all commodity monies are based on what they measure so they are intrinsically uh, cannot perform as measuring sticks because the measuring sticks changes labor changes and skills change and technology advances and uh, this is the fundamental problem of, uh, of the Current chaos and monies.
2: Well, I'd encourage you to read the book. I, okay. I, I don't have time to explain. I've read it, a but, lot but about this. But I would be st- interested in your your opinion because we obviously need competing currencies I'm f- to all for fiat them. currencies. I'm
1: all for that. I think I'm for the key thing is to stop the government monopoly. I believe that gold and various digital currencies and will uh, prevail if. Uh, the government monopoly has ended, and uh, it's possible to actually, uh, you know, currently the government privileges the dollar by depicting as capital gains any advances in the value of its competitors and taxing them at the capital gains rate. So effectively the government is mandating that the correct value is the dollar, regardless of how volatile it might be. And gold, no matter how stable it is, is somehow uh, gyrating around, uh, is unstable in compar- because it doesn't follow the caprice of uh, the Federal Reserve policy.
0: We have time for these last two questions. I'm sorry, I've been no, that's t- fine. answering to. Uh... <laughs> that's all right, go ahead.
3: For, first, I want to thank you, George. I thought this was a marvelous presentation. And the element of time within the concept of money was tremendous. And you made it so explicit. I think everybody in the room understands, and we're riveted. Uh, my question, I'd like to go back to your mention of Robert Mundell and the gold standard and how China adopted that, as well as the monetarists of, of the United States And Alan Greenspan, a couple years ago, wrote a very short essay about the mistake we made by not maybe reconsidering the gold standard. I don't know if you read that. But the the question...
0: I'm afraid it was... Just just step closer to the mic. Yeah, Yeah. right.
3: Uh, Alan Greenspan, a couple of years ago, even wrote a short essay about this concept of Robert Mundell with the gold standard versus uh, monetarism. But my, the question I'd like to get back to, because I'm interested in how our adversaries view the folly of the United States, you know,
1: uh, how our on,
3: our adversaries, yeah. such okay. as China, yeah. since they've already outsmarted us. My question to you is, how does the petro yan versus the petrodollar dollar play into this? The price the, of oil relative to the yon yeah. and the price of oil relative to the dollar play into this currency and money yeah. issue.
1: Yeah, that.
3: That's related to energy yeah, The resources. oil
1: price, because it is a global, global price, does respond to the price of gold. There's, uh, and, uh, and in 1981, Greenspan did believe that uh, we faced a crisis in monetary policy that could be resolved by contemplating uh, the creation of new gold-based entities and treasury securities. And uh, then he went on and joined the establishment and became, uh, became a leading central banker. And what he believes today is uh, unclear. But uh, the, the fact is that gold is real money. It, it's not something that can be outlawed. It, it is it's because it is knowledge. And this knowledge can't be effectively suppressed.
0: Thank you. So, uh, if I understood well, you think that Bitcoin is good measurement stick based on time? Yeah, uh, Bi- yes? Bi-
1: Bitcoin is, is so, based on time and has a principle of scarcity that uh, but then, makes it a suitable competitor for world currencies. And it also is combined with a security model that, that is... Enormously attractive to banks and other institutions all around the world. They're all experimenting with the Bitcoin blockchain as a security model based on publication and distribution rather than concentration and and firewalls and. There is not so. My question is:
0: If there is not so many smart investors in the world, that still Bitcoin uh, market uh, is just ten billion dollars. Is not a lot. It's
1: tiny. So Bitcoin is not a competitor with gold, but Bitcoin could be a layer eight on the Internet. The Internet needs a global currency, which is endogenous to the Internet. uh, The efficiency of pricing and transactions in the Internet is disastrously... um, uh, Model today. And uh, I believe that Bitcoin can be a layer eight, a trust and transactions layer in the internet software stack. And I think it will evolve in that direction and will become global. And uh, today, it's a tiny percent of the internet and internet commerce is 7% of global commerce. So it's a long way to go, while gold already is half the reserves by some measures in uh, in uh, the world. So so they, both of these, and, and they're combining these two technologies. Lots of efforts and company, uh, uh, you know, I talked last night at at gold money and Bitgold, gold, and uh, there's a company called Anthem Vault, and there are lots of companies that are trying to mix the blockchain with the uh, with uh, gold as a foundation for value.
0: Thank you. I just think that we should also we should we talk too little about Bitcoin at this conference. Thank you. Okay. We should talk about Bitcoin at the conference. Yeah, yeah I, I do. Tom- I do tomorrow. I
1: have a whole panel on Bitcoin. Yeah.
0: Let's give George Gilder another round of applause.
1: George, George will oh, yeah. have. George I'm will signing have, books yeah. tomorrow at 12:40, I think, that around, uh, you know, that book signing uh, uh, just before one o'clock tomorrow at the bookstore. I'll have. Yeah, fifth, right, I'll,
0: right over at the bookstore. I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of George's <coughs> book. And at Discovery Institute in Seattle, we have a program, the Center on Wealth and Poverty, that really disseminates this message and instills the message in a new generation of free market defenders. So I'd encourage your support and involvement. If you want to talk about that or learn more about it, please see me or talk to George. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.